on the Talkback Show, on the radio, or whatever audiovisual device you choose to use. Welcome to the GBC Podcast, where we talk about the Packers and our hometown of Green Bay. This is Episode 72, created on January 31st, 2024. I'm John. I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin. Along with me, Jeff in Minnesota and Neil out on the East Coast. Say hello, gentlemen, and tell us what you're drinking. I am drinking a Great Notion Juice Invader Hazy IPA. And since I knew we were going to have Charles on tonight, I have a Boulevard Brewing Company Spiced Imperial Stout Limited Release. Nice. And I made a strawberry daiquiri for the evening. You can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Green Bay Chat and Facebook at the GBC Podcast Green Bay Chat. And just the audio is now available on Apple Podcast as well as Spotify by searching for Green Bay Chat. Well, making a return engagement to the GBC podcast is our friend Charles from Kansas City. Okay, Charles, just go ahead, get it out of your system. Hey, boys, how about those Chiefs? Chiefs. Let's go. All right, and what are you drinking tonight? I'm also having a Boulevard beer, a Space Camper Nova Flare West Coast Style IPA, specifically West Coast Style, playing a West Coast team in the Super Bowl, the 49ers. And I'm drinking it out of my Super Bowl 54 champions commemorative glass to commemorate the last time that we beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Yeah, not just four years ago, beating the same San Francisco 49ers. But in Kansas City, you've had to wait a full 12 months to get back to the Super Bowl. How has life been in Kansas City for the last year? It's been tough. You know, the <laughs> summers here are very humid. Uh, we've had a little bit of a rough winter getting here, as you guys saw in the Miami game, you know, negative <laughs> 20 degree wind chills. It's been a long 12 months, but hey, we're back and we really sweated that one out to uh, to get back to the to our next Super Bowl. And overall in the last year as well, the NFL draft was in Kansas City. How big was that being the Super Bowl champions and then getting to host the NFL draft? What was life like in Kansas City at that time? It was huge. It was almost as big as the Taylor Swift bump that we've gotten this year. But it, it, she's she's a she's a singer. She's dating one of our uh, tight ends. Uh, oh, um, I am wearing Taylor Swift jersey as well today. There we go. There we go. Yeah, she. I guess she's got a couple songs. I've I've heard a couple of them. The draft itself was obviously huge for Kansas City as a whole. I mean, it generated $300, $400 million in additional revenue for the city just in, in with restaurants, bars, things like, like that, which is obviously huge. Like there were, I think they said 350,000 people over the course of the three days of the draft that, you know, were in and out of Kansas City here from all over the country, from every NFL fan base. It was great. I myself did not get to attend because my first child was born the day of the first round of the NFL draft. So four Bryce Young came off the board. Jack Robinson came off the board. So <laughs> actual number one pick in the 2023 NFL draft based on his size so far, he's like hundredth percentile in height, weight, and head size projecting out as a right tackle or tight end, maybe a tight end in high school that slides inside to right tackle in college. Just depends on where the NIL deals come from really. But that was Exciting for multiple reasons. Obviously great for the city and great for our family. So, but the draft was huge. It was great to have it here. They did a great job setting up Union Station for the event. The only thing that was kind of a pain and I never, I didn't test this out, but I guess the downtown traffic was atrocious for people that worked down there leading up to it. But I wanted you know, to I ask about traffic. So I'm glad that you brought it up because I know Neil and Jeff, they know that I am worried about the draft coming to Green Bay. Did you know that they're already trying to make plans in the Green Bay school system to 
give the kids those days off because they're anticipating yeah. such a huge influx of people. That's awesome. Yeah. That makes sense. When the Super Bowl was in Minneapolis a few years back, this was before COVID, we were work from home even at that point. That's a huge side effect of having the draft or a big NFL event at all. I'm sure the Super Bowl is the same way, but it's going to change the way your public transit works, the way that your commuters get around. You could call it an interruption or you could call it an opportunity for uh, your city to make a heck of a lot more money and the businesses to make a lot more money. That's the good thing. Like Kansas City has a lot of civic pride. So you see a lot of people wearing like local clothing brands like Charlie Hustle and Made in KC, Made Mob, things like that. Everyone, obviously, the barbecue is pretty heavily talked about. And most, I mean, every place here that is worth going to is a local place. So it's good to see those businesses kind of benefit from an event like that. I wish I had a way to record John's cortisol levels and his blood pressure <laughs> during that entire discussion of traffic. Because John may not sleep tonight oh. because of all the stress from tonight's uh <laughs> Tonight's discussion of draft traffic. I'll I'll check my heart rate uh, when we're done. Uh, You mentioned the civic pride in Kansas City, and I've always wondered, is there some type of rivalry or something between the Missouri side and the Kansas side, or is it all one big city? Uh, It depends on who you ask when it comes to that. If you ask college basketball fans, there's definitely a rivalry between the the Missouri side and the Kansas side, dating back to the Big 12 and Big 8 days when Mizzou and KU were huge rivals. As a guy from Missouri who married a girl from Kansas and lives in (laughs) Kansas, it's not as intense for me. I consider Kansas City both sides, but you could talk to someone completely different and they would say, I'll never step foot in that state. And it could mean either one of them. So there's definitely still that sense of uh, state to state tension but kansas city's kansas city man whether you're from overland park or you're from lee summit or you're from kansas city missouri or kansas city kansas i think it's all the same and it's a it's a great place to be what about at the high school sports level do the teams from opposite sides of the city compete against each other or do they stay separate because of their state sanctioned sports to my i mean to my knowledge i think they may play in like tournaments and things like that but i don't i don't think there's no like conferences that are Kansas schools playing Missouri schools. It's pretty well separated as far as that goes, just because, like you mentioned, the state-sanctioned sports and at the high school level. But there, it definitely happens. Like, you know, teams will schedule non-conference games maybe with a team from the Kansas side on the Missouri side or vice versa. And that's where you see some of the better matchups with some of these bigger schools, like on the, the Kansas City-Kansas side versus some bigger schools on the Kansas City-Missouri side. They should really have a Kansas City Super Bowl for high school football because that would produce some pretty good games with the teams that are on both sides, but they pretty well stay in their own lanes as far as that goes. Neil, you're you're a Missourian. You're a native Missourian. You don't want to mention that? I personally do have backgrounds in both states. I was born in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, but then spent a summer living at the University of Kansas in Lawrence. And so both are states that I've lived in. It's definitely a place that I would like to return to for a Chiefs game against the Packers sometime in the future, hopefully in four years. My dad was actually born at Fort Leonard Wood as well. Oh, wow. And, and John served at Fort Leonard Wood. So I was, yeah, I sent basic training and, and active duty there. And, and and if there is a Packers game in Kansas City, Charles, you know, a place that you that we can uh, shack up for a few days. <laughs> I got you guys. I got you guys. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Excellent. We'll, we'll accommodate. Nice. To it. It's uh, four years from now. It should be because we had the Chiefs mm-hmm. in Green Bay this year. And right. we'll talk about that. Uh, but let's take a look at your season all together and let's start with this most recent game and it's a road playoff game you had two road playoff games kind of foreign to this kansas city team or at least patrick mahomes but you go to baltimore the number one seed tell me what things were like 
going into that game? How are you? You beat Miami handily at home, like you said. You went to Buffalo, which is a tough place to win. How is everybody in Kansas City feeling heading to Baltimore? I think without sounding like that fan or that fan base, I think that as those first two games kind of, you know, went the way that they did with, you know, no real sweat against Miami and then going into Buffalo, beating the Bills in Buffalo with Bills Mafia there, chucking snowballs, all that stuff. The confidence just kind of built from a fan perspective, like, okay, well, I I think maybe we're back a little bit right now. I think maybe this is kind of the mojo that you've been looking for all season from this team. And, you know, a team that you saw throughout the course of the regular season kind of struggle to find an identity a little bit, struggle to get their footing, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And it's not like they're blowing people out of the water with their offensive play. It's, it's, it's that the offense has become more efficient and, and has stopped shooting themselves in the foot because penalties and turnovers are what has killed this team all year long. And they're just simply not doing that right now. So going into Baltimore, looking at, if you look at it on paper, the matchups maybe weren't that favorable for the chiefs, but all the X factors and all the momentum felt like it was going in Kansas city's favor. As far as like they're picking up steam, Mahomes looks like he has his edge back. The defense is playing lights out. So, and Spagnuolo has traditionally had pretty good game plans for Lamar Jackson led offenses. I mean, Lamar has struggled against the chiefs traditionally, and you know, that helped with some confidence going into it. And I mean, that that's exactly what ended up playing out was Baltimore's lack of an effective offensive game plan coupled with Kansas city's exceptional defensive game plan against the Ravens and what they'd done all year was what won that game. The offense played well enough to obviously score enough points to win the game. That's, we all know that based on the final score, but the defense really is what kind of did it there. And ultimately I have to think that had Baltimore come in and actually done what they were best at and run the football like design runs over and over and over again, that game could have turned out differently, but for whatever reason, they dropped Lamar Jackson back. It was 37 passes with four sacks on top of it. So 41 dropbacks plus eight runs. Most of those runs also an extension of the passing play as opposed to six designed plays to their running backs in the game, six rushing plays for 23 yards in the game. And in the second half, yes, three runs for 12 yards for, the Baltimore offense in the second half. And I, I think that, yeah, this is sort of a, like, why, why make your offense one dimensional? I mean, this sounds like Andy Reed was coaching the, the Baltimore Ravens rather than, than John Harbaugh. And, you know, that's something that certainly Reed has done over the years is get one dimensional in the playoffs and seeing a team decide to go old school, Andy Reed in the playoffs was kind of remarkable. Watching it was a surprise, but you do also have the, the aspect that Kansas city's first drive was flawless. And the way they came out and they executed again on the second drive probably should have been up 17 to seven pretty quickly like before they ended up being up 17 to seven. They should have been probably 24 to seven at halftime in all honesty. So knowing that and seeing how the offense played in the first half, I'm sure Baltimore was like, Oh man, we could easily be playing from behind. We probably got to be a little more aggressive, but it just didn't, it didn't pan out. And I think that you probably saw a pretty good example of, one quarterback that can step up in the moment and one quarterback that has yet to show that he can do that. And I, I, I think Lamar Jackson is an amazing player. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He'll be the MVP this year. You can't knock his ability, but he just, he, he has not proven that he can do it in the postseason yet. And he's now watching the Super Bowl from home and Mahomes is going back to the Super Bowl. So, well, I mean, just look at Lamar Jackson's numbers in the first half, 
five of 12 for 67 yards, 67 yards passing in the first half for Lamar Jackson, under 50%. And one of those five catches was himself catching his own batted down pass. I mean, yeah, I, I think Lamar Jackson really hurt his overall stock in the league, despite how amazing he can be just based on that performance. That Lamar Jackson completion to himself. That was pretty awesome. Dug up, <laughs> dug up some pretty terrible skeletons from Chiefs playoff pass, thinking about Marcus Mariota's touchdown pass to himself against the Titans in 2018. I think 17, 18, I believe it was. But that gave me a little bit of an uneasy, uneasy feeling thinking like, oh man, if that type of stuff's going to start happening again, maybe the run is over this year. But uh, yeah, just that just ultimately didn't really matter. So what about Kansas City's offense, though, in the second half? Because you started out so brilliantly in the first half, and this has been a issue all year for Kansas City as far as a lack of scoring in the second half. And you just look at Mahomes' numbers. He only had 90 yards passing in that entire second half. Kansas City only had 29 yards rushing on top of it. So you can't say they just sort of went hyper-conservative and just ran. They just were ineffective both running and passing the ball in the second half. What's going on with that? Well, in the Baltimore game specifically, I think that was, you know, a little bit of the little bit of the chess match. And I at at halftime, I was watching with my with my uh, in-laws and my wife and, you know, kids and everything. And I think the, the thing about going into halftime of a big game like that ahead is that you have to anticipate the other team's adjustments instead of making the adjustments on your own. So you go from almost a completely offensive mindset in, in terms of like how you're attacking the game to a like. Let's just sit back and see what they do. And I, I do think there's probably a little bit of an element of, you know, in the past, some of those plays you could have, and, and I haven't gone down back and broken down film or anything like that. And, you know, to say that, well, on third and four in the third quarter, Rasheed Rice was wide open downfield for 25 yards, but Mahomes just tucked it and took the sack and protected the ball and we punted. I don't know if those things materialized or not, but it does feel very much like, the risk-taking of the Kansas City offense is almost all but gone at this point because that is what killed us earlier in the season is turning the ball over and, you know, making boneheaded plays. So I think it's probably a combination of, one, Baltimore's defense is unbelievable. Those linebackers, there's something about linebackers that wear single-digit numbers that just makes them seem a little more intimidating. Like Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, number zero and number six, is like, oh, those guys are – those guys are bad, dude, you know, but the defense, their defense credits them. I mean, they've been incredible all year and they really clamped down on Kansas city in the second half. And, you know, Casey just did enough to hold on to win. I mean, that's Kansas city's defense came out and did the exact same thing to Baltimore's offense. So, I mean, w with a couple of lucky breaks there uh, in the second half, but you know, that's when guys keep swarming the ball, things like that, you know, the Zay flowers fumble in the end zone and, and things like that tend to happen. So I think it's just, relentless effort on both sides on defense and you just saw kind of a, a heavyweight fight defensively in the second half to your point it, it seemed like Mahomes almost sort of became a game manager I know that's sort of a like a not a great phrase for a quarterback but I mean you know he sort of he did what he needed to do that was one of the keys right Kansas City had no turnovers and Baltimore had three and Baltimore's turnovers were pretty untimely on a goal line and, and such. So it seemed like Kansas city though, especially in the playoffs, just sort of switches on, right? Like sort of everybody gets like, Oh, now we're sort of more interested. Right. 
And there are players, obviously, that that can do that. It's hard for a whole team to do that. But, you know, there there was just enough of that where it was just like, okay, this is going to get really interesting. And, and I think that's what carried the day, right? They were just methodical. And there, there was not a ton of splash, a lot of, you know, crazy running around, like you said, because throughout the season, especially with with the wide receiver situation, which we could get into or, or lack thereof. So Mahomes isn't as sort of freewheeling or at least as comfortable with what his receivers, other than a guy by the name of Kelsey, you know, he's still pretty good. But in terms of like other receivers really that he trusts or could go to. And so he, yeah, he sort of turns into this, you know, game manager, don't F it up and uh, don't turn it over. And for one of the first times, sort of let the defense carry the day. This is not, you know, a really highly lauded defense, but man, I mean, they're highly ranked, but just sort of sneaky, good, quiet. And that's what really sort of carried the day. Like you said, not only in this game, but it's going to make things really interesting in the Super Bowl as well. Absolutely. And I think if you, you know, you hit on the Mahomes game manager thing, like the joking side of me wants to say that he went back and, you know, grabbed his notebook from his rookie year and, and saw what he wrote down about Alex Smith. But, you know, realistically, I think if you go back to the 2021 season when the Chiefs started out three and four and kind of had some of the same issues they had, you know, in the middle and towards the end of this season with turning the ball over, penalties, things of that nature, Mahomes had to learn how to become that type of player in the middle of that season. I think you guys remember the first Jordan Love start against the Chiefs that year. They beat, I think they beat the Packers narrowly that season. They beat the Cowboys like 19 to seven at home. There was a couple ugly wins that Mahomes just kind of had to like learn to gut out, you know, and learn how to like, we got a tight lead. The offense isn't here today. Like, let's just go out and win this game. And even late in that season when they were scoring points and the offense was still productive, you saw Tyreek Hill turn into more of a short yardage type of receiver, a lot of out routes, a lot of six to eight yard gains you didn't see in 2021 Tyreek hitting those 50 yard bombs all the time like you saw in 2019 and 2020 so I think reverting back to that like okay I've done this before I know how to like preserve and persevere and make this happen Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are both self-aware enough to know the offense this year is not a 40 point a game offense but the Chiefs have not lost a single game this season where they've scored over 20 AFC championship game 17 points Defense showed up to play, but, you know, you get over 20 against Buffalo, you win the game, get over 20 against Miami, you win the game. So, you know, they kind of know what their threshold is to batten down the hatches and, and pull out a victory. And I don't know if that's just an instinctual thing, if that's something that they've discussed, but it seems like they kind of have that in the back of their minds whenever these, when they get these leads, they, they kind of know how to keep them. One of the things we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Neil came up with this in watching Kansas City, and he, he described it as a team that was bored in the regular season. And I think it kind of shows in, in your schedule. You open up the season seven and two, you're four and four in the back half of the season, but then the playoffs, this team comes alive. They they were prepared to be in the playoffs. Do you Did you notice that, especially with the way you played Miami and Buffalo going into those two games compared to some of the games during the season where you feel like you probably should have won or they were maybe signature games during the season that you didn't get I think a lot of what you saw the Chiefs offense this year was Mahomes developing trust and the guy the the offensive unit as as a whole starting trying to figure out how to trust each other because you think about you know the receiving room you lose Juju Smith-Schuster last year who 
isn't a big production guy, but he is a veteran presence and he's a he's he's a, a source of leadership in that wide receiver room. You lose Juju, you lose guys like Orlando Brown, you lose a guy like Andrew Wiley, who's you know maybe not the best right tackle in the world, but has been with the team and knows the program and is is certainly a leader in the locker room. You lose Eric Bieniemy, who as embattled as he was when he was a Chiefs offensive coordinator was still respected and still demanded the best out of guys. You know, we cycled through at a new wide receivers coach. So there's a lot of lack of continuity early on. So I think a lot of that off those offensive struggles, trying to, you know, find their footing came from the fact that there was a lot of unfamiliarity and a lot of, in a lot of the rooms inside of the building, you lost some veteran presence. You lost some locker room presence in there. And the young guys kind of had to learn how to step up and Mahomes had to learn how to, how to trust everybody. I think, you know, as far as like signature games go this year, I think the biggest signature game the chiefs had this season wasn't a win. It was a loss on Christmas day to the Raiders. And that game kind of embodied everything that Kansas city had done wrong all year long in a game that they should have won. They Aiden O'Connell didn't complete a pass from halfway through the first quarter till the end of the game. And the chiefs lost the game. Like, how does that happen with a Patrick Mahomes led team? Well, you have back-to-back turnovers within eight seconds of each other in the second quarter where the Raiders return a fumble for a touchdown and an interception for a touchdown. And that's really all they needed. So we turned the ball over. The chiefs would get down into the red zone Back-to-back penalties on Jawan Taylor. One drive took him out of field goal range. I mean, it's just, it was drops, everything that had gone wrong all year. And the, the real big X factor in that game was the Raiders just came out and punched the Chiefs right in the face. Just were more physical than them from the get-go. Max Crosby was fired up. The whole Raiders defense was fired up. Antonio, credit to Antonio Pierce. He made that their Super Bowl. And they came out and they won it. And they just absolutely dog the chiefs on their home turf on christmas day from that point forward patrick mahomes has one turnover it was a fumble against the bengals and the chiefs have not lost a single game and they have been eye test only but they've been the more physical team in every game they've played since and they out physical the dolphins they came out and beat the bills on their home turf and the bills were a little more physical in the first half they had their run game going but when it counted the chiefs showed up and just continued to pound the rock and then against Baltimore, a Baltimore team that is known for being physical, that just looks physical with their uniforms and everything. Everything about Baltimore is is smash mouth football. Like you think back to the origin of that franchise and, you know, guys like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and all that. You think Baltimore Ravens and you think, you know, absolutely getting hit in the face. And the Chiefs came out and did that right back to them. And I think that that Raiders loss changed their identity and gave them that chip they needed to be like, all right, boys, like, let's wake up. Let's do what we know how to do, and let's play to our strengths and just win football games. All right, Charles, as far as the season goes, I'm going to pick two more games out, both of them losses. Let's start with the season opener. You've won the Super Bowl. You had the draft. Everybody in Kansas City is riding a high wave that Thursday night in September, we can see it on TV. It's electric in that stadium, and the Detroit Lions come in, and surprise the hell out of your team how deflated was that crowd what was the just what was the reaction of of all of that coming crashing down on opening night very bad vibes as the kids say these days (laughs) it it was not it was not good that was a weird matchup in general because 
you know, when they release the schedule, it's like, oh, who are we going to play opening night? And you've got the Bengals on the schedule coming to Kansas City. You've got the Bills on the schedule coming to Kansas City. Even the the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Eagles, you think like, okay, it's going to be one of these primetime matchups that everyone's going to be up for because these teams are traditionally great. And you get the Detroit Lions, which isn't like an NFC finalist this year. So a good team that came out and, you know, had that belief and you you had a guy like Dan Campbell on the sideline for a team like that. He gets, he obviously has those guys in year three completely bought in and I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, back in the NFC championship or close to it. I know you guys would probably hate that, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them find success next year again with the roster they've got and the belief that they've got. But that was, uh, that was, that was, you know, not great, but there's also not to make excuses, but there was also two pretty important players for Kansas city that, did not suit up that night and did not play arguably the chiefs second and third best players and Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. So there was a little bit of a grain of salt there with like, okay, that sucks. We lost to Detroit. Kadarius, the first step one of the, uh, wow, we Kadarius Tony might not be the guy, but only uh, you would have known, right? <laughs> how could we have known? How could yeah. we have known? Uh, I mean, he scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl and had a big punt return. You know, he's a hero. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, wait. But yeah, there there was there was obviously that grain of salt with, you know, Travis Kelsey's knee injury the week leading up to it. And Chris Jones sitting in a luxury suite with his greasy agents. That was a tough, tough look for Chris Jones. But I don't know if there's anybody in Chiefs kingdom that is still holding that against him at this point in the season. But not having two of your bigger, like your best player, arguably on defense and your number one receiving target coming in, it kind of hurts your chances. So there was disappointment, but still optimism that once we get everybody back, that everything would end up being okay. Someone in the league office rejected the script of having the Chiefs-Lions as the first game of the year and the last game of the year. And it was a very real possibility for a moment that you were going to get the Lions in the Super Bowl. What were you thinking at that moment, the way the Lions were playing that that championship game? Oh, well, I mean, the way they looked against San Francisco, it obviously makes you a little bit nervous. But I, I did think that with Mahomes' appetite for revenge, I did think that maybe that would be a, a little bit of a tantalizing matchup for Chiefs fans just to kind of get a shot at, like, making things right and, and proving a point. But, you know, instead we uh, get San Fran. So, yeah, you now get a team who has the belief of a 17-point second half comeback in the NFC championship game coming up against you in the Super Bowl. So I don't know. They, they've got momentum too. One other game in the regular season. I think Neil wants to talk about this one Sunday, December 3rd at Lambeau field. <laughs> Neil, tell us about that game. I was at the Packers chiefs game. I flew back to green Bay for, for that match. And the chiefs fans were universally great people to have around. There was a really good uh, group of chiefs fans there. They were great for tailgating, talking to them to, at the various bars beforehand. And it, it was a really good atmosphere, but when the Packers were playing, right, the chiefs were eight and three still at that point. And again, obviously the defending super bowl champs, and there was a lot of consternation. And if you, there were a number of games that the Packers won in November and December that were key games. But I would argue the reason why we made it to the playoffs is the belief that we got in that victory over the Kansas City Chiefs, where we beat Patrick Mahomes in the defending Super Bowl champs. Jordan Love outplayed Patrick Mahomes. Jordan Love with three touchdowns 
in that game. And I, I came out of that game thinking this is one of the most amazing regular season games I have ever attended just because of how electric Lambo was and how we were able to take down the chiefs. So you obviously had a different perspective on that game. So how is your perspective on what happened in Lambo in prime time to the chiefs? I Basically, that that sound that I just made, that was how I felt about that game. Uh, you know, that, that game was deflating for a lot of reasons because, you know, you, you come into it, it's a big primetime affair. You're like, okay, these are two historic franchises. You know, you have a rematch of Super Bowl one on your hands and you just come out and lay an egg like that. And I mean, the, you know, the, the the Packers gave the Chiefs chances too. Some of them weren't warranted. Like the the Jonathan Owens hit on Mahomes, the roughing the passer. I, I that was not, that's not roughing the passer. I'm sorry. Like I, I, I always clamor for Mahomes to get every call. That's not roughing the passer. He wasn't, you know, but still couldn't capitalize on that. Lost a couple of key players to injuries. I think Tranquil, Drew Tranquil went out that game with a concussion. And I thought Brian Cook, like, severely broke his leg apparently it was just an ankle sprain in that game but it looked bad but you know you kind of got that deflation of losing a couple of key defensive pieces and I mean the Packers just flat out came out with their asses on fire and the Chiefs were flat did not it was just two different intensity levels and the Packers clearly wanted that game more and I mean if Jordan Love was the best kept secret in the NFL coming into the season the secret's out like I mean, the way he played in the second half, you guys were ca- the Packers were catching their stride. I say you guys like you guys us. I always that I always refer to sports like that, but you know, you guys were catching your stride and we just caught you at the exact wrong time because we were we were slipping a little bit and you the Packers had everything going on and I mean, we, Christian Watson had two touchdowns that game. I mean, he was lighting us up. We just, you know, we didn't really have I don't know. Didn't have the mojo. I didn't believe in the defense. I went back and forth on the defense this year because there are some games where you're like, oh man, they're world beaters. And there's some games where it's either been don't break or they, you know, get thumped. Ultimately, people try to blame it on the former Packer or the lack of the pass interference on the former Packer in the <laughs> on the last offensive play. Well, whatever do you Chiefs. mean? Well, what? <laughs> yeah, that I'll give you I'll give you the roughing the passer I don't think I'll give you that pass interference that was that was Fair pretty enough. clear yeah. but ultimately the Chiefs did not if the Chiefs had gotten the like here's what would have happened guys if the Chiefs would have gotten that ball on the six yard line or wherever that ball was thrown on pass interference Jawan Taylor probably would have had two false starts and we would have missed the, we would have just kicked a field goal and tried to onside kick it and then lost the game anyway at that point the way they were playing so I mean, it's that you guys just kicked our ass flat out that game. And it was, uh, it was humbling for sure. You see, as a chiefs fan, you see green Bay going to Dallas and absolutely dominate a Cowboys team. that was dominant all season long. You think, okay, well, you know, in, in the, in the, in the moment you think like, ah, man, we should have beat the Packers, but the Packers are pretty damn good this year. And they're going in, to in be the second half of the good. season, in the second half of the season, right. They, <laughs> they, they found, they found themselves in the second half of the season. It's the NFL. You guys are the NFL's youngest team, correct? Yes, by a fair margin. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at you look at that aspect of the fact that you have the youngest team in the NFL, who you know may struggle in the first half of the season, but the fact that you know you found that stride in the second half, got a big playoff win in Dallas, which I think you guys have more wins in Dallas in the playoffs than the Cowboys in the last thirty years. Mm-hmm. Which is hilarious. That's that's nice. a team that's gonna just just like Detroit, just like Detroit. I mean, the NFC North is in 
is in good shape moving forward into the future. I mean, whether Kirk Cousins comes back to Minnesota or not, they, uh, or if the Bears draft Ju- Caleb Williams, I mean, you know, or stay with Justin Fields. I can't believe the we, we don't have to sidebar on the Bears. I know you guys probably don't want to <laughs> throw up in your mouths, but that is just such a Chicago Bears decision to say we're sticking with Matt Eberflus in a year where you have Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, and Mike Vrabel in the coaching carousel. What the hell are you doing? Even if you said you're sticking with him, were you not? And Jim Harbaugh. I mean, you couldn't make a play at Jim Harbaugh. You don't think Jim Harbaugh want to stay in Big Ten country and coach Caleb Williams? Whatever. That The Bears are the Bears. So, Right. I, I, I think you summed it up very succinctly right there. The Bears you are guys, the Bears. And... Do you guys want to talk about the Chiefs-Bears game? That was a good one. <laughs> well, before, before that, I just wanted to mention that as Neil said, the, the, the Chiefs fans coming into Green Bay were spectacular. And and we talked about tailgating in Kansas City last year as well. They came in, they they kind of knew what to expect. So the Kansas City fans actually were pretty pumped up for that Sunday night affair. Some friends of yours, you connected with me. They showed yeah. up at the Lot 1 tailgate party. I hope they had a good time. I, I heard they had a very good time. They said it was they said it was a blast. So good. Good. Uh, so yeah, Kansas City travels well. It was a great game, but sure, sure. Let's talk about <laughs> the Chiefs and the Bears. What happened in that game? <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it looked like a Chiefs versus Bears game should look in 2023. So that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Justin Fields can be can play well, but man, Chicago's just a disaster. So you guys, 41-10, the final on that game. Yeah, but your your season in general, we mentioned it already. Great start in the first half, seven and two, four and four in the second half. What was your analysis overall? How did you feel about your season? I guess there's two there's two different thoughts, right? There's the in the middle of it, and then there's the hindsight. You know, in the middle of it, uh, I save I save screenshots from. I've got a group chat with guys that I've tailgated with for years. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times all of us in the group chat were like, man, this team just doesn't have it. This team just doesn't have it. Whether it's self-imposed mistakes, whether it's drops, which is, this, you know, kind of the same thing. I think everybody at some point wanted Matt Nagy's head on a stake because the offense just wasn't doing what it was, what it was supposed to be doing. There was no continuity in play calling. Mahomes was frustrated. There was a couple of times where, you know, he criticized officials after games. Guys not taking accountability for not playing well, like Marquez Valdez-Scantling with the media a couple of times. And I don't know what you're talking about with drops. Yeah, you do, man. You do know <laughs> what we're talking about. But throughout the the course of it, it's tough because, you know, you're talking about a a team that you look at the schedule at the beginning of the season, you think, all right, this is maybe like a 12 and five floor, maybe like a potentially a 15 and two ceiling, maybe. And you go eleven and six, the Broncos are on your on your tail until week seventeen. Like, man, you did not expect that. But then slowly, I guess slowly but quickly, you know, you get that the win over the Bengals at home at the end of the season. And even though it's Jake Browning, you know, that's a that's a spirited rivalry. And the Bengals still have a lot of really good players on that team. You get that win, and it's like, okay, cool, you know, get that a little bit of confidence back under the belt. And then you go and beat the chargers with Blaine gap, Blaine Gabbert versus Easton stick matchup in week 18 was a barn burner Woo! 13, to, <laughs> 13 to 12, but in the season on a couple of good notes. And then I do think that getting Miami in the wild card round was a huge blessing for the chiefs. Cause you had that confidence of already having a win over that team and knowing that they're going to come into 
harsh elements and a tough crowd in Kansas City with a quarterback that really has next to no playoff experience, there's kind of an element of like, okay, well, could be a good start here. And I think everyone in Kansas City had played out the played out the scenario where like, okay, well, if the Steelers can go in and upset Pittsburgh and then Houston or Cleveland can go in and upset Baltimore, we could still host the AFC Championship this year. But I don't think that's what this team needed. I think this team needed to get their backs against the wall and have that pressure of having to go on the road and do it to really take that next step and ascend to you know that Super Bowl level of play. So I just want to I just want to clarify what you said. You're saying that the two Super Bowl champions needed to take that next step <laughs> as a team. That's absolutely terrifying when you've already got the best quarterback in the NFL. This year they needed to take that next. This iteration of the Chiefs needed to take that next step because you got you know you think I talked earlier about you know the offensive guys that that departed after last season you got like orlando brown and andrew wiley and juju smith schuster and you know a few few guys like that who were gone after this year you got guys on the defensive side of the ball that had been here for a while as well and you you, you replace those like frank clark and colin saunders and a few other guys who'd been here for multiple super bowl runs who who know what it take who know what it takes to to prepare the right way to approach every single day in August, just like they approach every single day in January, you know, like those guys have done it and they know what it takes to, to be champions. And you replace those guys with young guys who haven't, and you take a wide receiver room who had minimal experience and put next to no experience in it. And you kind of get the product that you saw throughout the course of the regular season with the chiefs. But I do think that, you know, as the season went on, the guys that were still, that are still here, you know, Mahomes, Kelsey on the defensive side, Nick Bolton and Chris Jones and, Legereus Sneed and those second year guys that out of that draft class from 2022, like Trent McDuffie and Josh Williams and Jalen Watson and Leo Chanel has stepped up a little bit this year. Those guys kind of started to come into their own as leaders in the locker room. And I think you really kind of started to see that attitude shift where, you know, you're not just young guys anymore. You guys are the leaders on this team. And anyone who's played sports at any level knows like, you know, when you like say you're in high school, right? And you're a sophomore, you just kind of like follow along with what the older guys do and you figure it out on your own. Junior year, you kind of take that step into like, all right, well, I'm I'm a contributor now. I can take this next step. And by the time you're a senior, it's like you're the leader and it's your team and all that. So I think some of those guys took that sophomore to junior leap. Some of those guys took that junior to senior leap. And you saw that just kind of play out throughout the course of the season. And now it's all coming together as a whole. And I think that it, you know, it's the results so far have been pretty good. Let's take a look ahead now to Super Bowl 58. And before we do, Neil, I got to mention back in episode 51, our friend Jeff picked a San Francisco, Kansas City Super Bowl. Nice. Who did although, you take? Although, although, we, although we didn't pick that Super Bowl last week. <laughs> right. Yeah. You went and changed it to San Francisco, Baltimore. But either way, Jeff, who do you have winning the Super Bowl? Uh, I actually have San Francisco. All right. So. You have that to go up against Charles. What does Kansas City have to do to win Super Bowl Fifty Eight? I've thought about this a lot, and I don't. I think there's <laughs> multiple matchups that you can look at across this game that are certainly in San Francisco's favor. You know, San Francisco's defense is ridiculous at every level. Their linebackers present a lot of problems with what we do offensively, with basically taking the middle of the field away in the passing game, which. Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey kind of feast on that. Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner are probably the two two of the best cover linebackers in the game on the same team. So that's intimidating, right? To win the game, Kansas City has to come out and do 
kind of what they've been doing throughout this postseason run. And granted, they really couldn't get the running game going against Baltimore. That Baltimore defense is pretty stacked in the middle. And San Francisco is stacked across across the board, but I think they've got to come out and commit to the run early, get Isaiah Pacheco going a little bit, because that's one guy we haven't even mentioned yet who's been a key piece of Kansas City's offense this year. I think one one element that Kansas City is going to be missing in the Super Bowl is no real threat of a running back receiving the ball out of the backfield right now. Because you you got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but he's limited in what he can do, especially against the defense that's as fast as San Francisco's. But I think they got to come out and just come out and establish the run, get that offensive line confident, get them behind their pads moving forward instead of just starting out like, oh, we got to move like, you know, kick set and letting Bosa and Chase Young and those guys pin their ears back. That's that's a recipe for disaster against San Francisco is if you just start out passing and you can't get something going, those guys are going to absolutely make you pay. So I think they've got to come out and, and establish the run, get a physical feel on offense, and just play defense the way they have. Brock Purdy is actually pretty good against blitzes. I saw I, – I can't remember the exact stat, but he's been, he's been above average against the blitz this year. So maybe – that's not the same recipe as we used against Lamar last week when we were, you know, bringing six. But I do think that Spags can confuse young quarterbacks. He's proven that in the past. And when they played Baltimore earlier this year in San Francisco, you know, Baltimore forced Purdy to turn the ball over four time, four picks. And I think they had five turnovers in the game. So I think yep. if you can get San Francisco to turn the ball over, if your defense is catching the ball, their playmakers can't catch the ball, right? So how are, how, are, how are your D-backs as far as actually catching the ball? Because that was our big <laughs> fault against San Francisco is having uh, a Brock Purdy pass go into our defender's hands and then not hand. catch it. So you, you have uh, D-backs that are going to make those plays if it comes to them because Brock Purdy is going to make mistakes. I think we have D-backs that are very physical and can frustrate San Francisco's wide receivers. So you have two guys in Legereus Sneed and Trent McDuffie who are absolute – animals on the outside who will match up well with Ayuk and uh and Debo Samuel I think the big matchup you're going to have to look for is how are our safeties and Drew Tranquil going to be able to you know, cover McCaffrey and George Kittle on those short play action plays and I think that that's going to be ultimately what decides the game and if you know Drew Tranquil and hopefully Willie Gay did not play in the AFC championship game but signs are pointing towards him being back for the Super Bowl hopefully with that athleticism on the outside of the linebacking core with Justin Reed and Mike Edwards at safety. If they win that battle, I think they win the game. If you don't let Kittle kill you, you don't let McCaffrey kill you out of the backfield receiving the ball. McCaffrey's going to get his running the ball. It's, it's going to happen. But I do think everyone has this perception that the Niners have this incredible offensive line because they have Trent Williams and they run the ball well. Well, yeah, Kittle helps out with that run game, but Across the board, I do think Kansas City probably has plus matchups in the front four versus the Niners offensive line because everything right of Trent Williams is not that great. So I do think that, you know, Chris Jones, you guys, if you he did it against Green Bay, but if you've watched many Chiefs games at all, you'll notice that Steve Spagnuolo will literally move Chris Jones up and down the offensive line and pick out what matchup he wants for Chris Jones, basically. Like, who is Chris Jones going to make their life a living hell that Sunday? And they he lets Chris Jones make that person's life a living hell that Sunday, and he'll find that matchup against San Fran. That'll help stunt their run game a little bit. That'll help get Brock Purdy stirred up. You know, Purdy's a good player. I don't like this game. This like game manager, like is Brock Purdy good? 
debate because if he wasn't good, he wouldn't have led his team to two straight NFC championship games. The roster is loaded, but when you get to this point in the season, every roster to an extent is loaded. You have good players at every level if you're playing this late in the season. And the fact that he's in his rookie year got him to the NFC championship, granted got hurt against Philly, but in his second year takes him to the Super Bowl. He's a good player. And I think that's he's he's got to be respected in that regard, especially in the Super Bowl, because he can he brought him back against Detroit. He can do things against Kansas City. It's gonna be all about how they <clears throat> defend San Fran's run and how they kind of negate Kittle's presence in the past game because I think on the outside they can give those receivers problems with McDuffie and Sneed but man it's going to be a close game I'm 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 nervous do I need to make a pick now do I have to make a pick no not yet we assume what your pick is going to be but I need to ask about the real x factor for the Kansas City Chiefs all year so and I start out by saying this that yes I am a Swifty I'm wearing friendship bracelets. Yes. I did see Taylor Swift at MetLife Stadium. Is there a component of Kansas City against the world as far as there's so many outside forces that are anti-Taylor Swift in other NFL fan bases? And have you embraced it and just said, yeah, we're going for it. And the more hatred that comes towards Taylor Swift and the Chiefs, the better off it is for us because we're going to beat whoever is coming against us. I do think it's pretty comical, but I, you know, this is... <laughs> This is maybe like a, I'll use a Taylor Swift song. You know, I should have had a Taylor Swift song themed statement prepared for this. Yeah. Like, you know, as far as all the media noise goes, I'm just going to shake it off. But I really think when you look at Taylor and Travis's, you know, arc, it's really a, a love story. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it makes me feel like I'm back in 1987, but 1989, sorry, I got the album name wrong. How the hell did I do that? Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's kind of awesome, honestly, that Travis Kelsey is a cool enough guy, a suave enough dude to to um, get the biggest pop star in the world to be crazy about him. I think that's awesome. Says a lot about him. And I think, you know, it appears that they really do like each other. So I think it's a good thing. As far as the media attention goes, like all the people who are like, get Taylor Swift off my TV, like. Is that that's you? That's that, you that is me. Uh, after that was me wearing a UOK after the Packers beat the Chiefs, and yes, I had my uh, opinions for <laughs> for Chiefs fans and the Taylor Swift reaction there. But uh, as I said, I'm I'm a Swifty, so I'm very much uh, enjoying this element of of your team. Yeah, it's 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 entertaining for sure. I, I think the people, you know, I I'm not one of those guys. It's like get Taylor Swift off my TV. I don't I don't care. Like I'm. I'm watching football. If Taylor Swift is watching football too, that's good. And honestly, like this may be a little bit of a sugar-coated outlook on it, but it's bringing more people to the game. Like oh, it's totally. bringing more people to the NFL. More people are watching the NFL. More people are watching the Chiefs. More people are watching the games in general. I mean, it's and I saw I saw a post on social media earlier today. Actually, it was you know a handful of dads who were like. You know, in the past, I've watched football and my daughter's just been like, oh, whatever. I thought she was too cool for it. And now, you know, guys are having their daughters ask them like, oh, who's that player? What's this? Can we watch this game? Can we watch the Chiefs game? I think that's cool. It provides opportunities for, you know, fathers and daughters to enjoy the game together. Brings yeah, fans had, to the uh, game that wouldn't have been there before. So I think it's a good thing. Sure. I've got three girls. They're 16, 18 and 20. And, and once they realized that the Packers were playing the Chiefs, they were like, hey, dad, we want to go. Packer game yeah. in December, and I, I quickly talked him out of it because of how much it would have cost. And I said, "You're gonna, you're gonna get a better chance of seeing her watching her on TV 
than actually being in Lambeau Field that night. So we we went to my my wife and I went to the uh, Chiefs and Chargers game at Arrowhead this year, and my mother in law she works for an engineering firm here in Kansas City, and she got their um their like C suite tickets or like club level very nice seats, and we're right below one of the main like luxury boxes, and I'm like, I wonder if that's going to be where Taylor Swift and Brittany Mahomes are at. Well, we're just sitting there. We go and you know get drinks and stuff, and we're kind of settling in. And we notice like a lot of movement off to our right. We're at the very end of the row. There's a lot of movement off to our right, like up above. And we look up, Taylor Swift is literally in the box, probably a hundred feet away from us <laughs> up to the right. And there is kids running down the whole game with their phones, just taking pictures of her and Brittany Mahomes in there, you know, doing their little handshake and stuff. It's like, man, that's kind of crazy. All beautiful. Long- it, it's all beautiful. It is. It's, 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 it's awesome. I do. I do think it's good. It, it's growing. It's, it's growing the game. So different, which in America growing football is tough to do. Yeah. Question for you personally, Charles, growing up a chiefs fan. First of all, did you ever expect, or did, did you ever think that this team could be making a fourth Super Bowl visit in five years, especially during a time period where, you know, there's 20 years of new England Patriots dominance and you have, because of that dominance, a lot of people really didn't like the New England Patriots. And now, as Neil said, the Kansas City Chiefs versus the world, you're in a situation where because of this circumstance, there's a lot of people just rooting against the Chiefs, A, in principle of who their biggest fan is, and B, it's your fourth time in five years. Is this surreal for you going back to being a kid? And how, how does it feel to be on that side of it? It's very surreal. When we when the Chiefs played the Patriots in the 2019 AFC Championship, I took my dad and my brother and went with one of my best friends. And, you know, obviously the way that game ended, the D Ford offsides, the, you know, all that stuff. You know, we left that game thinking, like, there's a good chance we'll be back, but you don't get back to these games very often. And I was reflecting on that going into last week because, you know, we're in our sixth straight AFC championship game. And if you would have asked Amazing. me that night, six years ago, like, do you think that the chiefs will be here every single year until, you know, like in, in that time frame, I've, I've met my wife, gotten married and had my first child. And the chiefs are still going to AFC championship games. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, I I've gone through stay on the Taylor Swift theme here. I've gone through an entire new era of my life. And the Chiefs are still going to AFC championships. I it's it's un, it's unbelievable, and it's something that I've I think that one key word for all Chiefs fans this season, especially, is perspective, because you've got to even in the games that we lose that were frustrating, and the team looks like they're not cut out to make a run like this. You've got to keep that perspective that you still have. Andy Reid, you still have Patrick Mahomes. There's still a chance. Like we've always got to maintain a perspective that like we're in a better position than most NFL franchises are with the guys that we have, and there's a chance that we can continue to move forward and get back to where we where we ultimately have been in the past. When we were watching, like when we, like <laughs> the early 2000s, when you know we were all thinking like, hey, maybe this Tyler Palco kid is going to pan out, or. <laughs> Man, Brody Croyle, man, if we could get him a receiver, maybe he'll work out. Poor Jamal Charles, never had anybody. You go back to so many teams with the Chiefs that are just missing one piece. Even, you know, 93 with with Montana and Marcus Allen. You know, you had 
good pieces of the defense with Derek Thomas, obviously a legend with Neil Smith, but you know, certain pieces just kept us from taking that next step. And you kind of felt, it kind of felt like it was going to be that way forever. Like, and I made the joke when the chiefs won the super bowl, when chiefs won super bowl 54 in February of 2020, that all we had to do for the chiefs to win a super bowl was trade off the entire, like we, we just, the chiefs won the super bowl and the world was ending because we went into lockdown a month after that. And everyone thought that COVID was going to be this massive, like permanent disaster is like, well, that's what happens. The chiefs win the super bowl and the world ends. So, <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's remarkable. But to the second part of your question there with the, the Patriots thing, I think one of my favorite lines from, from a movie of all time from the dark nights, uh, you know, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. So the chiefs have yep. officially, the chiefs never, they're they the yeah, yeah, they're the villain now. So it's, and I, you know, Mahomes, Mahomes himself, I think is kind of embodying that where, you know, now it's not just him winning games in front of his home crowd and, and the stadium erupting and it being a joyous celebration where everybody sings friends in low places and, gets drunk in the parking lot. Now he's going on the road and stealing people's hearts. And he's officially made that turn from, from like everybody's hero to kind of the villain this year. And I kind of, I kind of like it. I think it's, it's awesome. You know, I've got a buddy who's a Broncos fan and he, uh, I think I mentioned him on the, the last time I was on the show and then texted you afterwards, John, cause I called him an idiot on the show. And I was like, Hey, maybe edit that out. Cause I don't want him <laughs> to see this and be offended. But I, you know, he, he is an idiot and he's one of those guys that's like, oh, Mahomes isn't Mahomes isn't even that good. And talking about guys who had better stats than him this year. It's like, okay, fine. They had better stats than him. He all, there was also like 62 drops this season. Like, say what you want to say about Pat Mahomes. I bet you most NFL franchises would trade their guys straight up for Patrick Mahomes pretty much in a heartbeat. So Yes, I think I mean, every single franchise would do that. He's clearly the best in the NFL. Right, right. Well, so and, and and with his obviously with his being drafted and coming in, he's your catalyst. You know, I mean, you know, stirring Andy Reid, and you know, there's a lot of things that that had to happen, but it's still Mahomes getting drafted, right, and, and doing what he does. Well, it's it's right, it's right place, right time. I mean, you yeah. know, you if 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 Patrick Mahomes got drafted by the Jets. Patrick Mahomes would not be Patrick Mahomes. No. You know, Patrick Mahomes gets drafted by an Andy Reid-led team into an offense with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. He gets to find his footing with those phenomenal players around him to learn from a guy like Alex Smith. And it just was the perfect storm. And, you know, it, it, that, that's – circumstances is so much when it comes to, you know, individual player success, especially in pro football. Because you get drafted to a team that's mismanaged with nothing around you. There's a reason why there's way more busts in the NFL, then there are guys who actually pan out and, and achieve greatness. So well, as Packers fans, we think of that all the time. You think of all of the quarterbacks who have been busts and what happened if they had been drafted into a Packers systems where they started out with three years on the bench behind a future hall of famer, and then got to start in year four after they had figured most of their shit out. And it's just remarkable. The differences in trajectories that different people's careers could have taken if they were in a different circumstance. Well, yeah, incredible that you guys have been able to do that for the last 30 consecutive years too. Like that's a little bit unfair. It, it's, it's, only, it's, it's only, it's only three quarterbacks. Let's be fair. Right. So. Well, yeah, you're, you're Packers, Packers quarterbacks are like Steelers head coaches. Like you guys have had three starting quarterbacks since 1968. It feels like. So 
and they're you know two of them have won super bowls and the third guy looks like he's well on his way so well, that's what we're hoping for <laughs> yeah all right charles now is the time you've said everything you need to say about this season the history everything coming together you've got a big game coming up in a few days in las vegas super bowl 58 chiefs 49ers it's a rematch from 54 what is your prediction i don't know how and i don't know why when it comes to the gameplay but i do know a couple of things one patrick mahomes patrick mahomes has never lost in las vegas in his career beating the raiders every single time that we've played in vegas two a stadium worker that built allegiant stadium in las vegas was from kansas city and buried a Chiefs Kingdom flag under the stadium that is presumably still there unless Mark Davis has gone to the lengths to unearth it. Um, it would appear that he hasn't since the Raiders still haven't beaten the Chiefs at home. And three, on the Black Magic theme, the voodoo theme, whatever it is, I just don't know that anybody can pick against Mahomes at this point in the season based on what he's done and how he's just put the team on his back. And not necessarily from outstanding numbers or incredible play but just his his attitude and his moxie that he's had this postseason run it's just like he's picked this team up and they've adopted his attitude and his confidence and it's just exuding in the team and you know different players step up and make big plays so I don't know who's going to be the catalyst this week I don't know who's going to be the the surprise you know last week last week Dion Bush has the pick on Lamar Jackson in the end zone does any anybody heard of Dion Bush before? <laughs> he's he's bobbled back and forth on our practice squad all year long. You got a guy like that stepping up and making the biggest play in the AFC Championship. Someone's going to do something like that in the Super Bowl. I can't pick against Patrick Mahomes for many reasons. He's just turning into a cold blooded killer, and I think it's uh I think it's another Chiefs Super Bowl victory. It's going to be tight. It's going to be stressful. I might have to have a blood pressure monitor on me the entire game. <laughs> yeah, you I'd know. say. Yeah, Chiefs, Chiefs, Chiefs 20, Chiefs 20. It's going to be a weird score. Chiefs 25, 49ers 22. All right, Jeff, you already took San Francisco. You're going to throw a score on that, or are you just going to say San Fran's winning? You know, it's going to be something weird because it, it's, you know, Mahomes going against Brock Purdy is, you know, Mahomes and totally advantage Mahomes, right? So it's going to be, it's either going to be decided by Mahomes or it's going to be decided by something weird. And like you said, it's going to be a weird score. I Because when I picked this originally, I had San Francisco and the Ravens, and therefore picking San Francisco. You know, I just, with, with what I've seen from Mahomes, like I said, it's going to be, if he ends up losing, which I'm not sure that he's going to, but if he, it's going to be something weird. You know, in San Francisco, sort of, if they move this thing forward and they, they finally get their first Super Bowl victory in decades, then so be it, and they can move on. But, you know, it's I think it's going to be an exciting game. The all-red Super Bowl, as it were. <laughs> my, son, my son's favorite colors. I'm going to go with, with San Francisco, but just with the caveat that it's going to be weird. In the end, I can't pick against Patrick Mahomes and the experience of the Kansas City Chiefs team. Obviously, just the brilliance of Mahomes, but more importantly, this is a team of players that know how to win. They have gone through some struggles this year, but they always can find some new reservoir to pull from, and it always seemed like they were holding something back, and in that second half of the game against Baltimore, it really looked like 
the Kansas City offense was just holding something back. It's like, as you said, they played a little conservatively to try to not make the turnover that's going to allow Baltimore back into the game. But they had that other gear, and the offense didn't use that other gear. If it comes to a situation where they need to, where they're behind, where they need a score in the second half, you know that they've got that in them. You've got a team of people who are very focused on winning. Travis Kelsey obviously was incredibly inspired in his play in the AFC Championship game. And I think that is going to be the key element on the Kansas City side. And on the other side, I've watched San Francisco's games in this playoffs. They should have lost to the Packers. They should have lost to the Detroit Lions. There were mistakes made by both the Packers and the Lions. And yes, you can say that San Francisco, San Francisco found a way to win, but they found a way to win in part because of mistakes made by the Lions and by the Packers. And if a better game is played by either of those NFC North teams, San Francisco is not in the Super Bowl. I don't think they're going to be able to get away with that approach against Kansas City. They've got to play a mistake-free game against Kansas City. I don't think that's in them. They've shown that they've got holes. They've shown that there are ways that you can beat them. I think Kansas City and Andy Reid exploits them. And bigger picture, Andy Reid is the better coach in this game. He has two weeks to plan. He has nothing better to do with his life than plan to how to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Andy Reid is going to figure out exactly how to exploit San Francisco to win the Super Bowl. All right, so that's one San Francisco, one Kansas City. Are you guys going to let me wait until next week to give my pick, put the suspense out there? No, what's your pick, John? Come on. Damn it, John. <laughs> We'll, we'll, uh, have the, we'll have the San Francisco guest on next week, so we're gonna have to repeat this whole thing. This whole well, that's what I said. That's again. what I said. We can we can make this a suspense, and I'll, I'll do I'll do the tiebreaker next week. Yeah, fuck off, John. Go make a damn oh, pick. Okay. Charles right. is that's here. Fun. Charles isn't here next week. <laughs> yeah. all that out there. All right, come hit, on. Hit, hit us with it. Come on, Neil. I agree with you on the Kansas City side and and the Andy Reid side. Something about San Francisco, though, they were in this game four years ago. And they just are that that net that won't go away. And something about, I don't know, Kyle Shanahan must have a horseshoe up his ass or something because of the way they pulled out the game against Green Bay, the way they pulled out the game against Detroit. And I think that they just have a really good defense. I like the defense in San Francisco. Uh, so I'm going to go with Jeff and I will take San Francisco over Kansas city in this game. Sorry, Charles. It's okay. Still a good friend. I it's still okay. appreciate you being on the program. As long uh, as you don't insult that... our queen Taylor Swift, I'm fine. Okay. He would don't never think of that. Neil don't would not there. have that. <laughs> but with that, with that, I wanted to throw this final tidbit out to you with the influx of demand of people from Kansas city to go to Las Vegas, American airlines has added a direct flight from Kansas City to Las Vegas. The flight number is 1989. And the trip from Las Vegas back to Kansas City is flight number 87. So American Airlines <laughs> is enjoying this, and they are on board with the Kansas City-Taylor Swift matchup going to Las Vegas. Oh, my God. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised you oh, haven't heard wow. that. <laughs> I haven't. No, that's awesome, though. Well, now you know. That's great. Well, Charles, thank you very much for joining us. For sure. Thanks yeah. for having me back, guys. It was a pleasure. All right. If you're watching us on YouTube, please hit subscribe, leave a comment, find the GBC podcast at Green Bay Chat, all one word. 
We are on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and the GBC Podcast Green Bay Chat. Charles, we didn't even talk about your online presence, but we'll get all that information out on our Twitter page as well. And may you fully appreciate the magnitude of your impending good fortune. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night.